interesting expression that we have for uh, times that we wish that we could hear what a conversation sounded like, right? Um, maybe it's just our desire for gossip. I think it's more just um, our interest in human beings. We would love to see how a conversation went down. Uh, maybe you've been in a place where some friends who are a couple uh, start to get into a little fight, and you can tell that the car ride home is going to be interesting, right? And it's like, man, I kind of wish I knew how that went down. Um, or maybe it's a sports game, right? We would love to be in the locker room to hear exactly how a coach is dealing with his team if they're performing badly. Uh, we like it in uh, news and politics and stuff, right? We love these like Oval Office tapes of Richard Nixon because we want to find out just how crooked and twisted the whole thing was. We just like to listen in to other people's conversations for better or for worse. And that desire is something that I think can happen to us in Scripture, too, or about characters in the Bible. We would love to have seen how Jesus and his disciples really talked when one of them did something dumb, right? Did Jesus lose his cool? Like, how patient really was he when Peter went off and, you know, shot his mouth off again? How did Moses actually pray? What did that sound like? What was the conversations that Moses and God would have with one another? And the cool thing is that today we have this passage that uh, tells us about how God would uh, talk to someone. Uh, we've been in this series, if you've been with us last few weeks, we're uh, talking about, uh, we're calling it Rare Vintage. These are books of the Bible that you just don't see people trot out and talk about, right? And today's book is the book of Habakkuk. Uh, you, can call it, you can say Habakkuk, you can say Habakkuk. There's all sorts of different ways to pronounce it. The fact that you don't know how to say the word is probably great evidence that uh, we don't talk about it enough, right? If you can't even pronounce the name of the book of the Bible, you're not reading it very often. And Habakkuk is an interesting character because most of his book is a conversation that he has with God. And it allows us to be the fly on the wall. It allows us to listen to how a man who knew God intimately would talk to God and God talks back. Right? This is the thing in our prayer lives we kind of would like sometimes. We pray about stuff and it just kind of feels like it goes up somewhere and we wish that we could hear a response. This book gives us the actual back and forth between God and Habakkuk as they talk about the things that are uh, this bothering both of them, really. So we're going to start out in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteousness, the righteous, so that justice is perverted. So the uh, conversation begins with Habakkuk saying what maybe you might say in your prayer life. Why is this world so messed up? Right? This is the beginning of Habakkuk's conversation. He says, God, I'm really frustrated because I see a lot of violence and injustice in our world, and it seems like you're not doing a whole lot about it. 
Habakkuk lived in a time where he had seen the Assyrians come in and mistreat his people. He had seen the courts of his own nation be unjust. He had seen people mistreated by the rich and the powerful. And Habakkuk says, why does this go on this way? If Habakkuk was alive today, I am suspicious that he would ask God, why do I turn on the news and I still see war? Why do I continue to see shootings and terrorism and police brutality? Why is it that all this stuff that I'm tired of seeing still happens? And that is the way that Habakkuk begins his conversation. Uh, This is helpful for us. Sometimes we act like prayer is the activity of just being, you know, really nice and friendly and flowery with God. And Habakkuk, that was verse 2. Verse 1 was, this is the message of Habakkuk. Verse 2 is, what's the deal, God? Why is this going on like this? Why is the world this way? And God gives a response that is not quite pleasing to us or Habakkuk. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Okay, you've heard this passage possibly in church to say, hey, God is ready to do awesome things in our community, right? That's a lovely message. That's not what Habakkuk is about, okay? This is one of the most yanked out of context passages in the history of the Bible. It sounds great, right? Ooh, God's going to do stuff I wouldn't believe even if I saw it. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people to, who, weep, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities by building earthen ramps and they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Uh, Have you ever watched one of these pharmaceutical commercials um, and they talk about the side effects and it strikes you that the cure may be far worse than the disease, right? You know, you see these commercials like, Try Allegrey Alexa. It'll help with your constipation. May cause death, right? And you're like, you know, if my options are constipation or death, I'll take the constipation, right? It seems like we're trying to fix a problem with a worse problem. And this is kind of God's proposal. Habakkuk says the world's unfair. People are are being mistreated. The Assyrians are terrible. Our leaders are terrible. And God's response is don't worry. I am raising up a new army of terrible people who will kill the other terrible people. And for us, we're like, what? What is this? What kind of a solution is this to the problem? Now, I want to take just a moment to think about this because it's really easy for us to be frustrated. You're going to see in a minute Habakkuk is frustrated. Uh, This does tell us a couple of interesting things. The one thing is that God is willing This always sounds weird to say. God is willing to dirty his hands to sometimes get things done. All right. There is, um, we have seen with certain despots, right? When Adolf Hitler was grabbing big chunks of Europe, 
just patting him on the head and go, please stop, doesn't always work, right? And men who survived World War II could tell you of all the horrors that they had to deal with to stop Hitler and to free people from concentration camps and all that kinds of stuff. And it's ugly and it's gross and it's no good. But sometimes to stop suffering, we have to engage in difficult things. And this is one of the messages of Habakkuk. He goes, God says, if you think these Assyrians are so bad, if you think your government is so unjust, I'm not going to do nothing. But right now, my best option is to use the Babylonians. And you're not going to like them either. But we're going to stop one problem with another one in the short term. The other thing I would say, and this is such a cop-out preacher answer, this is one reason why we should love Jesus, right? The whole thing about loving your enemies and turning the other cheek and not returning violence for violence. This is why we love Jesus, and we're glad the Bible doesn't end with Habakkuk, right? So that is part of the way that we cope with God's answer here, that he's going to send these Babylonians to uh, to punish the bad people with other bad people. But it's okay to be frustrated because Habakkuk is frustrated too. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves. Uh, we don't have italics or question marks in the Hebrew. I think that these, these should be questions. Them? Uh, it's like, uh, oh, this is a bad reference. Uh, in Arrested Development, there was a, a girl, and um, she was dating the teenage son. And his dad would always go, her? Right? Like, He's like, hey, Dad, I'm bringing my girlfriend over. And he's like, her? You're dating her? That's who you want to be with? This is what Habakkuk is doing. Them? You're bringing the Babylonians into this mess? And basically what he says is, God, that's a bad idea. That's a bad option. I'm not happy about this. There's a very honest exchange where Habakkuk says, your solution is not really a solution at all. You're going to make things worse. They're just as bad or worse than the people that we're already dealing with. And the reality um, of this is that God is allowing this debate to go on, right? God is allowing this. Can you imagine for a moment that your kids tried to respond to you this way? Dad, how are we going to take care of dinner? I am going to go get Taco Bell. Taco Bell again, I don't like, right, you know? And at some point you're like, hey, you're fussing about dinner. I'm giving you dinner. Don't complain about the answer. But Habakkuk does, and God entertains it. God listens to him. He says, okay, I get it. And so the, the back and forth continues, and we get now God's second response to this complaint that the Babylonians are a bad option. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God's response to Habakkuk is, be patient. I'm trying to deal with it. 
There is an incredible truth here for us to wrap our minds around. It can feel foreign, right? Babylonians, Assyrians, ancient people, what's going on? Just look at it this way. Habakkuk says, I've got a problem. And God says, well, here's a terrible short-term solution. And Habakkuk goes, that's a terrible short-term solution. And God goes, here's the deal, man. You have two ways that your problem is going to work. I have a short-term answer that is less than preferable, and I've got a long-term answer that's going to work. How often in your life is that the way your problems work? That you've got a short-term answer that you're not real happy about or a longer-term answer that's going to actually deal with things, right? Uh, we do this with weight loss. If we've got to fit into the dress in June... We go on some crazy fad crash diet that makes us feel terrible and we gain all the weight back, right? But it is a short-term bad solution. The longer-term solution is to eat healthy and exercise for months and months and months and months and months, right? And even God says, this is the way it's working. I've got, I, I, I can help deal with it immediately with these Babylonians and I'm going to long-term have a far better answer, but you got to wait till it gets there. In our spiritual lives, this is the reality that often God could provide a miracle to fix it, but that's not what we really need. What we really need is the long character-building process of dealing with an issue one day at a time for a really long time. And so Habakkuk says, I have a problem. God says, here's the Babylonians. He says, that's a terrible answer. And God goes, well, if you want a better one, if you want real peace, we're going to have to be patient. That's going to take some time. And then the book ends with Habakkuk writing a song to God about this whole experience. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shigion. Sh that's a word I don't know how to pronounce, and I know Hebrew. Shaginoth, something like that. Lord, I have heard of you. I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Then moving on, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered on the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Uh, I listened to a lot of really bad Christian pop music in high school. right? I just went on this, this kick where all I listened to was Christian music. And much of it was terrible. And one of the things I hated most was when some band, like this one, I won't give their names, we'll just incriminate them by photos, would get up and sing a song, and the verse of the song would be really dark and in a minor key, like, I have so much trouble, and the storm is coming, and there's like anxiety, and then you hit the chorus, and there's a key change, it goes to a major chord, and it's like, Jesus will save us, right? And it gets really happy all of a sudden. And these songs kind of trained us to think, or me to think, that difficulty was a 35-second problem that was immediately fixed by the chorus, right? It was sort of like this condensed thing where the trouble happened for about four lines and then all of a sudden everything got better. 
And Habakkuk says that when you're in a conversation with God, that's not the way it works. And Habakkuk has this incredible expression of faith. Even though the grapes aren't popping out, the olives aren't coming, even though you know our plants are not bearing fruit, even though we suffer through hunger and famine, still I will have joy in my Savior. I've used this expression many times. Uh, you cannot allow circumstances to rob you of joy. Uh, I've told this story before. I, for some reason, I remember telling Rachel this story. If I've used it in the pulpit, I'm sorry. I forget. Went to a U2 concert last year. And uh, my dear mother is out in the, the foyer. I love her deeply. But one of the things that I have because of my mother, she always tried to make things perfect for us when we were kids. Right? And so if, there was, if we went out to a ball game or something um, and we wanted popcorn, she'd make sure we got popcorn, right? Because she did not want to taint the experience by the sadness of not getting what we wanted, right? So I go to this concert and I see this sweatshirt that I really want, right? It looks really cool. I like this sweatshirt. And I go up and I said, do you have that in a 2X? And the guy goes, no, I've only got the extra large. I'm like, well, let me try it. So I put it on, I zip it up, and it just doesn't fit the way I like. Some of you bigger guys know you just don't like something that like feels tight on you. And I was like, no, I, I don't think so. I don't want this. If I buy this for the rest of my life, every time I put it on, unless I lose weight, I will regret it because it'll feel uncomfortable. So I go and I sit down in my chair. Okay, I'm seeing you two. I'm having a great time. If you know me, this is like supposed to be my happy place. But what am I thinking about the whole time I'm sitting in the chair? I wish they had a sweatshirt in my size. I went in two or three lines, spent an hour in lines. Every time I got to the front, nope, nope, nope. They always pointed me to another stand that supposedly was the miracle place that had the right sweatshirt. Couldn't find it. So I'm sitting there the whole time, still haven't found what I'm looking for, which includes that stupid sweatshirt, right? <laughs> and it's just killing me that I can't have this. Now, at the end of the night, I kid you not, we're walking out, and I hear a guy go, anybody want a 2X? All I've got is 2Xs. And I was like, thank you, Lord, right? Yeah, and I went over, and I bought my sweatshirt. But I was letting that circumstance just kill my night. It wasn't perfect. It was, uh, there's so much else to do, enjoy, right? But that one thing was driving me crazy. If you cannot have joy because of that one thing that bugs you, your life will be joyless because there will always be that one thing. And part of the life of faith, the reason it's called faith, the reason it's trust or belief, is because sometimes we have to say, God, I trust you so much that even though this isn't fixed, yet I will have joy. Uh, if you've been in a long-term relationship, you know how this works. There are issues, I'll pick on, I'm sure, Kevin and Brita. There are issues that even to this point, you guys still haven't totally figured out, right? There are fights that come up that you've been having for 20 years. And if, 23? Okay. Oh, 30. <laughs> right, right. Right, there are fights that, and the thing is, if you're in one of those relationships, you know how that works that you will fight about it and fight about it and you'll get little solutions and you'll get slightly better. You'll get Babylonian solutions, okay? 
but they're not going to go away. And you don't stop loving or taking joy in a spouse because they have that one thing and they slurp their cereal such a way that they just won't stop slurping, right? That's the way it is to follow God sometimes. Is there's going to be this thing that is not going to go away and you are not going to fix it? And you've got to learn to find joy in the relationship despite the fact it's still there. Because otherwise you'll just be miserable all the time. Um... This is just what it looks like to have trust. Um, I want to say just as I close that this is what it means to have a personal God. Okay? Um, Some people think of God as sort of like this sort of machine in the sky that does certain things or is unapproachable. And most of us don't like that. We like the idea that God would be a personal God, that we could approach and talk to God like Habakkuk does. But that means that he's also a person. And persons require relationships, and relationships require work and trust and bad times and tussling and all that kind of stuff. And so we get in these kind of arm wrestles, right, where we're like, I just don't like this. And God goes, too bad, you're going to have to deal with it. And what's amazing about this conversation with Habakkuk is it really doesn't go anywhere. Okay, the Babylonians are still going to be in power when Habakkuk dies. Spoiler alert, we know the history. It never gets totally fixed. But Habakkuk gets to a place where he says, God, I'm going to trust you and take joy in you because you are good and you love me. And I am going to push through this even if I don't get what I want. And learning how to love somebody when they don't give you the thing you want is just part of what it means to be in relationship. And it's part of the joy of knowing another person as a friend or a child or a parent or a romantic relationship. And it's part of knowing God. It's getting to the point where you can have the argument back and forth with him and even reopen an old argument. And in the end, you learn to take joy in him despite the fact that it doesn't conclude the way you'd like it to. All right. Uh, We do a question and answer at the end of our sermons. So uh, is there any questions that you have about the book of Habakkuk or anything that we've talked about today? Yeah. So I would say if we look a little wider in Scripture, the how of how we get through these moments is usually to live in the past and the future, right? When the present's terrible, you do two things. The one thing you do, the Bible does over and over again, is recount all the times that God has been good, right? So... We're having trouble making ends meet right now and feeding the family. Okay, what are all the times in the past that God came through so that we haven't starved to death yet, right? And so you remember his character and how he's acted in the past. And then the other thing you do is you look at passages that are promises of the future, promises to bring blessing, promises to always be with you. And a lot of times those things can, you can say, okay, the line is started here, the line's going there, so... This space is not as bad as it could be, right? Uh, I think that's, that's a, a big piece of that how, is to remember what God's done in the past and what he's promised for the future. Any other questions? The kind of the, the cycle that this goes through, the Assyrians are really the first professional army. We talked about them a little bit in our sermon last week. They come through and they kind of become the world power. The Babylonians will defeat the Assyrians. Uh, Later, the Persians will beat them. 
then the Greeks will beat the Persians. That's where you like get like 300, right? And then the Romans will beat the Greeks. That's kind of this parade of world powers that comes through. So, um, so Babylon at the time of Habakkuk is, is increasing in strength. So Babylon would have been someone they would have heard of, but they're not quite strong enough yet to overtake the Assyrians, but they will be. Uh, with each of these sort of generations of empire, they just get better and better at war and better and better at tactics and all that kind of stuff. So, 